Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. My name is Landon Snow. If I don't know you, uh, thanks for coming. Exciting stuff. I do have one more quick announcement. Uh, Easter's coming up in like seven weeks, and we are going to do a baby dedication. So if you have a child that has not been dedicated uh, to the Lord, we would love to do that on that Sunday. So um, all you have to do to be able to do that is be a member of this church, which I don't know what makes you a member or not. Um, I guess you just come periodically to church <clears throat> and just come let me know. And on that Sunday, we'll do that. That's just a big deal for us to um, dedicate babies to God. That's very biblical. It's something that we want to do. So um, that's going to be great. I think it's on April 17th. But we'll see. I uh, I feel fine. My energy is great, but I'm stuffed up. So if you can tell that I'm stuffy, that's because I am. I speak monotone already, and so this is making me even speak more low and slow. Good radio voice, um, but not very good for uh, <coughs> for giving sermons. In the other room, we have a cry room, and when Josh or anyone else is talking, they can understand everything they're saying. When I start talking, it just goes completely muffled. Um, so to, today it'll even be even worse. But um, at the end, we are going to pray against this kind of just cold stuff going around because I don't like it. I don't want to have sinuses. How many of you hate sinus problems? Let's just pray against that right now. How about that? You guys good with that? Yeah, we just declare in Jesus' name divine health over our group. Season changing doesn't mean that we get sick. So God, just pray for our sinuses, just headache stuff, just all that stuff. We just break the power over that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I turned 36 last week. Uh, Yeah, I'm still here. And uh, I thought it was the first time it was appropriate to make age jokes. Uh, being something about 35 to 36 is a big change. And then I also have four kids. So I felt like something about 36 was okay to tell age jokes and dad jokes. I don't know when the official line is where you can start telling dad jokes and it's appropriate, but I'm, I'm tweetering on that line pretty heavy. My kids, I have an eight-year-old, and she's starting to look at me like, that's not funny. I think I'm a relatively cool guy who's like up-to-date on culture, and uh, my eight-year-old makes me think that I'm completely not and I'm out of touch uh, totally with all the new dance craves and songs and things of that nature. So the most important part of this sermon is this. I'm going to give you a couple jokes on aging. Can I get an amen? Is that all right? Okay. <clears throat> Signs that you're getting old. Number one, gray hair. Number two, wrinkles. Number three, you start making lists of signs that you're getting old. The, the, the older I get, the more you relate to the Grinch on a philosophical level. <laughs> thought that was funny. This one's funny to me. At my age, flowers scare me. I don't even know what that means. I just think that's funny. <clears throat> that was by George Carlin. As a pastor, I'm not saying you should go listen to George Carlin's comedy. But that's a really funny line, in my opinion. <clears throat> Um, as I get older, I like to take a little time every day to reflect on the course of my life and also shave my shoulders. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Come on now, that is funny, isn't it? A little dad joke, a little, little comedy. Um, awesome. I do, uh, 
I want to start off today by, by sharing um, a scripture that will lead us into what I feel like we're supposed to talk about today. There are, um, there are some sermons that I'll give that I feel like obviously everything is God-inspired. I, I feel like I try to go before the Lord, get information from Him, and see what He's feeding the community. Um, as a teacher, the best model I've ever heard of is feed them what, what you're being fed. And so I always try to do that. But there are certain sermons where I just really feel like God's like, this is what I want you to say. This is exactly what I have. For example, sometimes a sermon series that we're on right now, like eight different topics that I feel, and God will kind of let me use my creativity to deliver a message. I felt like this Sunday um, that was very specific that I was supposed to talk about something. So if you look at this verse here, this is in Isaiah 50, um, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. There's another translation of that that says, he awakens me morning by morning like one being taught. And I, I just encourage you, as you, some of you may experience, experience this already, pay attention to the first thoughts in your mind when you're waking up in the day. I'm not saying it's always God speaking to you in that moment, but this is scriptural proof that a morning by morning, he awakens you like one being taught to give you a word for the weary. And I woke up Wednesday morning, which was actually my birthday, and I felt like we we're supposed to talk about courage. <clears throat> and so anytime I feel something like that, I just think, cool, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about courage. Okay, God, like, what do you, what do you want to talk about from that perspective? talk about courage but specifically in the context of community and specifically this one prayer that Peter prayed in the book of Acts and Acts 4 which we're going to go over so that's what we're going to do and then I also just felt like God wanted to release more courage for us individually and as a community today so we're going to do that so we've been on this sermon series on community celebrating everyone's value and significance and um Today I'm going to talk about courage and specifically having the courage to invest in other people, having the courage to long suffer with people, having the courage to believe in someone even when it doesn't make sense. We all need people who believe in us, and it takes courage to do that. Typically people, just to be honest, we're flaky. We like taking the easy way out things go bad we're just like man I, I just want the easiest path path of least resistance it takes courage to walk alongside people for a really long time it takes courage to really instill yourself and invest into other people and I'm gonna I'm gonna chat on that a little bit so courage eliminates the trap of being a victim if you are someone who functions with a high level of courage, it eliminates the trap of being a victim. Or it eliminates the trap of falling into having excuses of why you can't become everything you want to become. See, see here's the problem. We all, deal with we all deal with different forms of fear and anxiety. And fear and anxiety puts you on the defense. And courage puts you on the offense. Being someone who's filled with courage... It's not going to let just life happen to you and you become a victim. Courage says that that's not okay. That's not happening on my watch. And I'm going to move forward past what fear is saying to me. C courage um, doesn't allow you to just stay where you are. It makes you move forward. Being a people of courage are people who think and move forward, not just staying still, not letting fear dictate the terms. But courage says that we're going to dictate the terms. 
everything in life is coming at you through either fear or love. Those are the conflicting realities. And, and you get to choose every thought in your head, every piece of information that you receive. You're going to function from either fear or love, period. There's no way around that. Every good or every evil, evil is coming from fear or love. And if you're someone who moves in courage, it is a sign that you're functioning in love. It is a sign that you're functioning from kind of the garden or the soil of love in your life. And learning how to move in courage with one another, learning how to move in courage individually is, is just really important. I, I've dealt with all kind of bizarre forms of fear and anxiety in my life. I know what it's like to have panic attacks. I know what it's like to just have really odd anxiety for just strange reasons. And every single time that I've just said, okay, that's not going to dictate the terms. I'm going to move forward. It always is rooted in I know that God has more for me, and I'm going to step out and move in courage. So throughout our Christian history, there are some amazing stories uh, in the Bible about men and women who did some incredible things that is rooted in having courage. And I, I wanted to share specifically one story that I felt like God put on my heart. In this story, we're going we're gonna to read 23 chapters, 23, not chapters. <laughs> we already, we already do services almost two hours long. I, I don't want a six hour service. 23 verses if you can stay with me, but it's amazing. Um, Jonathan was King Saul's son, and it's a story about Jonathan's son and his armor bearer, and it's amazing what happened from the courage of Jonathan and his armor bearer. So by the end of this, I want you to pay attention to Two guys who lived from a place of courage and watch what happened to the enemy and to the people on the side. So you can read it anywhere you want, but if you look up on these big screens, uh, you can see it here. So you guys ready? Stay with me here. 23 verses, not chapters. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of that place under a pomegranate tree in that place. With him were about 600 men, among whom was that guy, who was wearing an ephod. I do know that word. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, that guy, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other something. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash. Okay, this is all going to make sense in a second. Uh, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go to the outpost of the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, said the, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on, then we'll cross over towards them and let them see us. The armor bearer is the true hero of this story. He's like, yeah, dude, we can take 600 men, let's do it. I, I, you need good armor bearers like that, whether they're stupid or not, filled with courage. <laughs> if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So they're strategizing here. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. 
The men in the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. That's trash talk um, back in the day. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook, and it was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to that guy, bring the ark of God. At the time, the ark was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all of his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Okay, here we go. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved beyond that place. Go back one slide. Okay, so... Which, yeah, understand it's a cool story just for a historical stance. Um, we are drafted into Israel. Anytime that you see Israel in the Old Testament, I do believe that um, God has a chosen people. For whatever reason, he chose Israel, and we need to honor that. But when you see this stuff prophetically, we're drafted into Israel. This is our Christian history when you read these type of things. So I want you to notice here, Jonathan and his armor bearer, filled with courage, begin to trust God and go to war and battle on paper, just a really stupid strategy, not good. They're in between a cliff. They're letting them know where they are. No element of suspense. They're yelling at them, bad strategy. And God used this to win the war. But, but, but look at this. The people who were on the other army, when they saw the courage and fervor of Jonathan and the armor bearer, they started fighting with them. People who used to be on this side with Israel had moved to the opposing camp. When, when Jonathan started fighting, they joined their side. And then not only that, the people hiding in the hills woke up and joined the army. Listen, the courage of Jonathan and his armor bearer woke up something in the enemy and the bystanders. And they, you can just see them going, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong. Like, I'm, I see what they're doing, and that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm not just going to be lazy on the side. I'm not going to sit on the side. I'm supposed to be fighting. Like, do you see what Jonathan's doing? Like, I'm born for that. I, I'm not just going to be lazy and sit. I'm not going to be neutral. And guys that were on the opposing army decided, oh, yeah. I forgot what I was born into. I forgot what I was born for. I'm supposed to be fighting with Israel. Courage woke something up in them. 
this is this is what courage does. When you see someone move at a high level of courage, it awakens something in you, and you think, "I'm called to that." I, I give you a a basic basic example. About 12 years ago, I saw um, we're heavily influenced. We're actually part of somewhat part of it. Uh, denomination's a bad word of a church in Northern California. They're kind of our covering. It's called Bethel Church, and um, when I heard their leader boldly declare that God wants to heal people and then just start praying for people in that manner. I was I was a guy in the field. I, I was on the sidelines, very neutral. Like, yeah, God could do that. God want to do it. When I heard the way he prayed for the sick, something in me woke up and I joined the team. Like, oh my God, I've been waiting for someone to give me permission to do that. I, all I need is, oh my gosh, look at Saul. He's going for it. Like, I'm in. All I needed was permission. One guy had courage, and I'm going for it. I'm 100% in. You guys with me? Courage awakens something in you. If you put that into relatively modern-day times in society, 50 years ago, what Martin Luther King was able to do, a a man who stood up and said, through absolute incredible courage, said, hey, this is wrong in society. This is what needs to happen. People on the opposite side of the fight— said, you know what, he's right, and started fighting on this side. People who were neutral said, you know what, he's right. And we get to benefit in society today. What one man just stood up and said, I'm going to stand up in courage and say, this is what we're supposed to do. And courage just awakens something in you. It awakens something in me. And we should be people who are filled with, honestly, a stupid amount of courage. Like we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we should just have like ridiculous, dumb faith and filled with courage. Now, please have accountability. Don't go jump off of a cliff and expect God to save you. But but we should be people who are like, man, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And we're like, yes, do it. Go. You. Um, people call me, they're like, man, I just got really encouraged when I was around you. Because all I'm doing is like, dude, is that what God has for you? Then you need to do it. Like, And do it 10 times bigger than you think. Yes, go, encourage, move. Like, it just takes courage. But here's the thing. As, as, as bold as those single acts are, shifting that into community, to, it, I'm telling you, it's the same fervor as Jonathan as it is to turn in community and, and believe in someone to an unrealistic, stupid amount. To, to have the courage to say, I believe you can do it. To have the courage to stay with someone for a really long time. There's a quote that I love. It's, um, I was saved when I believed in Jesus, but I was transformed when I found out he believed in me. And it's the same thing with people. A lot of times all you need is for someone to believe in you. For someone to say, hey, I think you can do it. Hey, it's possible. In the same way that courage awakes something in you, in these stories, it's the same thing when someone just believes in you from a community standpoint. See, we it takes courage to long suffer with someone for a long time. It it it, ta- it it sounds unheroic. I'm telling you, it is heroic to believe the call on someone's life and walk with them for a long time through it in the middle of mistakes, in the middle of them not seeing it, 
it takes it takes boldness and it takes courage to say, I believe that this is the call in your life and I'm going to walk through it with you. You guys with me? So these are amazing heroic acts, but I'm telling you, in community, being people who have the courage to stick it out when it's bad. I'm not saying everyone's called to this community, so please don't take this as an inclusive thing, but like when things get tough in our community, that's when you invest. You buy stock when it's low. Like when everything's good, of course it's easy. It's easy to be filled with courage. Like, man, I won the lottery. I'm filled with courage. I'm going to start something. It's, it's a lot different. You're like, man, I have no resources. I'm going to trust God's faithfulness. Man, I'll tell you what. The, you know, Bob. Bob's a fictitious. Fictitious. Fictitional? <laughs> a fictitious character. Bob is not in this church. But let's say Bob's called to something huge, and you see the gold in Bob's life, and you know the prophetic words on Bob's life, and Bob's not acting like, his his actions aren't lining up with who he's called to be. It takes courage to keep investing in Bob so that Bob can become who he's supposed to become. And and we all need that. I, I really do believe when I, at a young age, started finding out that like people believed in me, like, no, you're called to that and you should actually do it. It's like, it's like courage was transferred into me. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I should do that. You want to know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have to be at a be at a social gathering, and, like, four people say the same thing to you. They're like, you know what? You're really good at this. And you're kind of like, I didn't know I was good at that. And then you leave, and you're like, I guess I'm good at that. If five people said it, it's probably true. You guys, like, just simple, just instilling courage in one another. Okay. There is this one story. This is what I woke up Wednesday morning. This one story the, these, uh, there's several interactions between Jesus and Peter where, where Jesus instilled courage into Peter. These are amazing stories that I love. And I'm going to give you just like a, I don't have time. I'm not going to read 24 chapters. Don't have time to go through all this. So I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but you can kind of see the sequence of events. <clears throat> and it ended with Peter praying something that we're going we're gonna to pray for in a little bit for increased boldness here. So these events took place, and I believe this is what God wants to release today. Okay, so just track with me here. Okay, first part of this story. Actually, let me back up. Peter was the head apostle. Jesus invested a lot into Peter. Peter made significant mistakes. Jesus loved him, kept investing in him, modeled what a friendship should look like. Peter would screw up all the time. Jesus just kept investing in him. They have this moment before Jesus, uh, before they take Jesus into custody. And he says to him, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, I'm paraphrasing, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. And uh, after you do it, I want you to feed my sheep. Just amazing conversation. Hey, Peter, you're like my best friend, your top two best friend. You're going to deny me to my face and they're going to kill me. And uh, when it's all said and done, I, I still want you to feed the sheep. This would be a best friend denying you, but this is Jesus saying, hey, the mistake you're about to make doesn't change the call or position in your life. Like, I'm sure it hurt Jesus because he was emotionally aware of himself, but he had the stamina to say, hey, Peter, after you do this, I'm going to just put you right back where you're supposed to be. Okay. 
they have this conversation. Big, big move by Jesus to say, your mistake won't dictate what I've invested in you. He's transferring courage. Okay, let's move a little bit further down the story. In Mark 16, you don't need to pull it up. I'm just saying this. Um, Mary and Martha are running to the tomb. Jesus has now died. He's, they think he's in the tomb. Day three happens, and they're running with one other person. They get to the tomb, and they're, they're going to do, like, p- proper burial, put oils on them, like ritual, normal things. And they get there, and the, t- the, the t- tomb, the front rock, the stone... The, uh, is rolled away, and there's some type of angelic being. It's actually uh, several times throughout Scripture there's reference of um, people in white linen. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, some form of angelic being was there communicating with them. They're frightened, like, oh, no, someone took Jesus, something's wrong. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. The Jesus that you're looking for is alive, um, and everything's going to be fine. And then they make this, the, the and angel, I'm going to call angel says this, Go get the disciples and get Peter. So, so they have this moment. Jesus, Peter denies him. You can imagine the shame and guilt. Three days later, they, Jesus is no, no longer there. And he says, go get the disciples and get Peter. Obviously, Peter had disconnected at some point. And it was important to God that there was the reconciliation of Jesus and Peter was happening. So keep moving along with me in the story. There's times over a 40-day period, the Bible says, that Jesus would appear and reappear to the disciples before he had ascended to the Father, rose from the dead, then he would periodically ascend to them, frightening them over and over. <laughs> I don't know why he did that, but awesome. I love it. I wish I, I can't, wait to, can't wait to see the videos. And Peter and two of the disciples are going to go fish. And so they're going fishing, and uh, Jesus walks up, and they couldn't recognize him yet. And they said, hey, did you catch anything? And they said, no, I hadn't caught anything. He said, okay, well, put your nets over here. And they remembered his voice from three years before of saying, put your nets over here. They, They remembered what it sounded like to hear from Jesus. I love that. And they said, is it you, Lord? And they realized it was Jesus. Okay, now, this is, this is a true scripture right here. Um, it says, when they found out it was Jesus, Peter put on his clothes and jumped in the water. Okay, there are two ways to look at this from a theological standpoint. I guess three. One, Peter just lost his mind. Two, he was jumping off the boat and thought he was going to walk on water again. Or three, in all honesty, he was trying to commit suicide. Why would he put on his clothes and jump in the water? I don't know. Most theologians don't know. There's cute things you could Google about, but no one actually knows. Either way you look at that, the, the emotional state of Peter whenever he re-sees Jesus for the first time is an amazing moment. And so... The story goes on, and the Bible, if you read it in the NIV, it says, Jesus reinstates Peter. So they have this conversation. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. He says, okay, I want you to feed my sheep. And he says this to him three times. He says, okay, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. L- listen, the, the amount of risk that Jesus is running here 
to have the courage to believe in Peter. Peter, you are denying me to my face to a 12-year-old girl. You are potentially committing suicide. We don't know. I'm not saying that's true. And now I'm reinstating you into, I need you to be who I called you to be, Peter. I'm still putting all the weight that I had on you before the same way as today. The risk involved with this. Okay, now pay attention. There's two more hits to this story. Acts 2 hits. Acts 2 is 120 people that were followers of Jesus. That Jesus ascended to the Father and said, hey, just hang out for a little bit. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You'll know it when you get it. They don't know what it looked like. They're just waiting. 120 people up day there. One day they're in some, the Bible just calls it the upper room. They're in the upper rooms, 120 of them. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit hits. Okay. What a church service looked like when the Holy Spirit had full dominion was people speaking in other languages, speaking in tongues, flames of fire, wind is rushing, and the only way they could describe it is that everyone looked drunk. Now I want you to know whether you like that or not, that is what church should look like. So, anyway, all of that starts happening. Holy Spirit's there. looks like total chaos. I've been in environments like that. It feels awesome, but it looks like a zoo, and it looks like total chaos. But Peter stands up and brings leadership and brings prophecy and scripture into the situation. So just hear me out. Anytime there's an environment that's supernaturally charged, it needs to be attached to leadership and scripture. So anyway, Peter stands up and he says, boldly, this is what God's doing. How do you think Peter had the confidence to go from measly, I'm scared, don't know what I'm doing, I'm floundering, to now all of a sudden he steps up filled with courage and boldness and says, this is what God's doing. Jesus instilled courage in him. Listen, all this happened because Peter had a friend who believed in him. Are you with me? How, how many times when someone's down and out, you're like, man, this, this part, they're never going to turn it around. P- Peter, I mean, overwhelming evidence that he's not going to turn it around. And Jesus just, no, man, you're the, you're the one. This is who you are. This is who you are. I see the gold in you, Peter. Peter stands up and becomes the head of the church. All right. There's one more. Two, now in Acts 4, and we're going to pray for this today. Now that they're spreading the gospel everywhere, they're getting thrown into prison a lot. They're, it was a league, basically, you can look at it like it was illegal to be spreading the name of Jesus. Thank God we live in America. Um, <coughs> So all of that's happening. So I want to read this to you. This is Acts 4, verse 23 through 31. We're good. Okay. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
Okay. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were filled, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Go back one more. Okay, keep it here. They've been in and out of prison. They're dying. People are getting stoned. And this is Peter. This is, this is the same guy, Peter. And he stands up and he says, Hey, the thing that's been killing our friends and putting us in prison, I pray that you increase that. Give us more boldness. He, he's not saying, God, protect us. He's saying, hey, up the courage. Don't let us get scared. I, I want more boldness. Are you catching this? You like This is like, hey, I'm not, hey, we've probably done enough. Let's play it safe. He's like, hey, they're killing us. Let's, let's ramp it up another bit. We want God to stretch out your hands to do miracle signs and wonders, which is what we should be doing today, and increase our courage and our boldness. And the place they were meeting in shook. Is that exciting to anybody else? So listen, all of this happened because Jesus believed in Peter. Jesus fully God and fully man. Peter had a friend that believed in him and instilled courage in him. When the person to your left, your right, your friends, people who don't even go to this church, when, you have, when you're friends with someone, it is possible for you to believe in them and keep instilling courage in them until they become who they're supposed to become. It takes the same amount of courage to stand up like a Jonathan and his armor bearer as it does to believe in someone when it doesn't look like they're going to last. And listen, I mean really believing them, like putting your, putting your reputation on them. Not like I hope it works out, like, hey, I'm going to associate myself with you. The public may look less at me because of it, but I believe that you can be everything you've been called to be. It takes courage to do that. Are you guys with me? Okay. That was it. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.